Turn your Bibles, please, to Luke chapter 1. We do. It is a struggle with uh, pastors. I, I don't know with everybody else. People get up to read the Christmas story in Scripture. And you hear the songs again. If you're my age, you've been hearing the songs for 59 years. I've been reading the Scripture for 59 years. And sometimes things, do we have to tell that story again? Don't they know it? I mean, pagans can tell the Christmas story. Some of your CEOs can tell the Christmas story. I'll let you figure out what that means. The truth is, Christ's coming ought to be a part of our lives 365 days a year. But you have heard it over and over, and yet I'm privileged to be able to share this text today, which I've never, ever preached on. But I've also never started out a sermon asking this question. How many of you know who Travis Tritt is? How many Christmas sermons have you heard start out with that question? How many of you know who Travis Tritt is? Raise your hand again. Okay, now see, I may have recognized the name, but I'm not really sure. Well, I know I couldn't put a face with that name. Um, But uh, I thought he was something in the country music field when I read this story. There's an interview um, revealed a little secret about him back in the early days of his career. I guess he has a career. Does he still have a career? Okay. All right. And in in that interview, he he revealed that in the... In the um, uh, in the early years of his career, he had to play in out-of-the-way joints and dives and small venues out in the country and different places. And sometimes it got dangerous. And frequently, a bar brawl would break out while he was trying to begin his career. He said, pretty on a regular basis, fights would start. Just drunken fights would start in those places where he was playing. And he, he said, this is a quote, just when things started getting out of hand, when bikers were reaching for their pool cues, um, No offense, bikers. And rednecks were heading for the gun rack. No offense, rednecks. I'd start playing Silent Night. It could be the middle of July. I didn't care. And then he said grown men would stop everything and calm down. Sometimes they'd even start crying, standing there watching me sweat and play Christmas carols. Now, it might have worked for Travis Tritt to play Silent Night in the middle of a bar fight and get everybody calm. But there's a carol 
that took place 2,000 years ago that was sung, uh, quite possibly, that didn't create that sense. It was a cow that described that somebody was coming to turn the world upside down. That carol Josh read earlier, <clears throat> uh, before they lit the candle, is formerly called the Magnificat. It's given that name because the, in the Latin uh, translation of Scripture, the very first word in this Scripture, um, Luke 1, verse 46, the, fir- the, the very first word, is Magnificat. It's an original work, we believe, of an unmarried teenage poor girl. Found out she was pregnant. Her name was Mary. And this young, unwed girl burst into song. Now, young, unwed Pregnant women do not normally burst into song. But this one hears the news and she does. Something about her that made all the difference when it comes to the song and these truths. E. Stanley Jones, a famous Methodist scholar, called this the most, talking about just these few verses, the most revolutionary document in the history of the world. William Temple, the Archbishop of Canterbury many, many years ago, instructed his missionaries in in the poverty areas of India never to read the words of this Christian hymn, this Christmas song, because it would incite riots in the streets. Walter Sheridan, the Baptist Seminary professor, said that when you read the, the lyrics of this carol, you sniff the powder of dynamite. There are four canticles in Luke. Canticles are hymns or songs. And uh, the very first one is this one, Mary's Song, the Magnificat. That we see. And then right after it is the Benedictus, which is Zechariah's song. And then after that is Nunc Dimittis. I'm teaching you Latin today. Uh, Simeon, so how many of you went to Catholic school? You, you, you took Latin. Um, Simeon's song. And then in Luke 2, we have the last canticle, which is the Gloria, which is the angel's song. So this is the very first one. Last year, I preached on Simeon's song. And here was a joy that caused this young girl to lift her voice in a song of praise. It contains quotations from and even references to Old Testament Scripture, the Psalms, and especially the Song of Hannah that we read in 1 Samuel chapter 2. The Song of Hannah is very similar to Mary's song here. So we know this young girl knew Scripture. She knew the Word. She might have been raised on that passage, the song of Hannah. 
Magnificat anima mea dominum. Her greatest desire was to magnify the Lord and not herself. She uses this, uh, this phrase in the English it translated he hath or he has. She uses that eight times. Focusing on God and not herself. Sadly, much of the world focuses on her. It's the outpouring of an humble heart. And when we think of the fact that many people around the world have tried to make um, Mary the, some sort of goddess or some sort of co-redemptrix or some, some the, the, the official title is Queen of Heaven. The song reminds us that she's not here focusing on herself, but on the blessings that God has given her. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. It was God she was to praise. And Mary's song also introduces the saving work of Christ. The one who's going to particularly minister to this world. And she makes that very clear. So here's, here's what's happened up to this point. At the, when the angel Gabriel um, tells Mary what's going to happen. Verse 20 says, if you have your Bible, all these verses aren't going to pop up on the screen. So if you have your Bible... We're in chapter 1 of Luke. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. So she tells um, Mary that she was going to have a child and he was going to reign over the house of, of, of Jacob. Look at verse 32. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him at the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. In verse 34, she says, how will this be? That I'm a virgin. How will this be? And then she makes this trip to go see some relatives. Verse 39, in those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country, the town in, to a town in Judah, she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, that baby was John. If you go back to um, verse 15 of this uh, 14 and 15 of this um, chapter, and you will have joy and gladness. An angel is speaking to Zechariah. Many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. An angel's telling Zechariah that you're going to have a baby too. That's probably laughable to him. And so Mary approaches. Carrying the Son of God in her womb. Little John gives his mother Elizabeth a good kick in the stomach. You mothers know what that's like. Let me say she's filled with the Holy Spirit and she 
um, in verse 42, she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. God is about to change the course of human history. The most important 30 years in the history of the world is about to begin. And where is God? God is occupying himself with these two obscure, humble women. One is elderly and can't have children. The other is a teenager and a virgin. And Mary is so moved by a vision of God, she breaks out in song. There are just two verses to this song. Or I'm breaking it up into two verses. I guess you could sing it more than two verses. There are just two verses I want to talk about quickly this morning. The first stanza The theme is undeserved grace. What God did for Mary. Pay pay careful attention to the words of this teenage girl. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. First, right off the bat, she calls him her Savior. Opening line of the song. And you know, only sinners need a Savior. And Mary sees herself, not as a product of some immaculate conception, where she was born without a sin nature, but she sees herself a sinner. Why? God is my Savior. Only a sinner like that is in need of rescue like the rest of us. And she sings of God looking on her humble estate, the humble estate of his servant. Literally, Mary sees her smallness. She sees her littleness. Both in the eyes of the world. She's a poor girl from a country town. Travis Tritt would sing in the bars in her town. But not just in the world's eyes, in God's eyes as well. Totally unworthy to be chosen of God. Just another poor girl among thousands of little poor lives in the country towns of this small nation that was under siege by the Romans. People weren't even free. And she was overwhelmed by God's choice. Are you overwhelmed? You don't have to wait till Christmas to think about this. Are you overwhelmed by the choice of God? He chose you, you believers. And 
here she's coming to the point of understanding grace. Why me? Why me with all my sin, with my own fallibility, my fickle heart? How perfect you are, God. So how is it that you would choose the likes of me? Intense humility is the mark of someone who has stood in the presence of God long enough to realize that they deserve hell for their sins, but instead they receive mercy. That's where humility comes. When someone has stood in the presence of God just long enough to realize that they deserve hell because of who they are, and they receive His undeserved grace. Amen. And that's not just true for Mary. True for every believer in this place today. Then she sees God's actions toward her as evidence of His mercy. She sings of His mercy from generation to generation. And His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. God, You didn't give me what I deserve. Instead, You showed me mercy. Withholding what I deserve. Just as you do for those who fear you and those who will fear you from generation to generation. And so in this first verse, we see something we could see much, much more, but we see something wonderful and very true about God. That Mary stands before the Lord just like we do. Mary stands there needy and she stands there flawed and she stands there sinful. She's done nothing to merit God's favor, nothing to earn anything but God's judgment. And she is amazed at a God who knows her so well but chooses her anyway. So am I. God's undeserved grace. Now, here's a gift you won't find on your tree this year. The gift of God's grace in Jesus. Who's come for you. Calls you to himself. And then Mary turns our attention to this world system and how God's going to turn it upside down. What it means to this system with Christ coming. So in the second stanza, we see God's undeserved mercy and grace in Mary's life. But the second stanza, we see God's rescuing power. You know, the, the common people of that day were helpless. The Romans were in charge. They were helpless when it came to justice. They were helpless when it came to civil rights. They were often hungry and they were often downtrodden and they were often discouraged. They were often abused. And there was no way for them to fight the system. There was a secret society of patriotic Jews extremist called the Zealots. 
They used violent means to oppose Roman occupation, but their activities just made things worse for the little guy. And Mary sings of these radical reversals from what the world values. Shifting everything we try to establish so it magnifies what God does for his people. Three groups, she mentions, verse 51. He's shown strength with his arm. He scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. Now, Mary's not a political analyst. She's standing in the living room of her older relative in the hill country of Judea singing a song. But she saw it coming, that her son was going to turn the world upside down. That her son was going to turn upside down all the centers of power that man has established on earth. Where's Rome today? If I could take just a side road here, not making a political statement, but a biblical statement. But it's current to the discussion of this past week. There may be reasons for treating people in harsh ways to get information. Some may call it torture. But the Christian cannot say that torture or harsh treatment or interrogation may be necessary to keep us secure. And I've heard believers all week long, this may be necessary to keep us secure. Listen, friends, if our security is not in Jesus Christ, then we might as well be worshiping Santa today. Our only security is in Christ. Somebody else can debate and argue the methods and other things, but we as believers cannot say that to keep us secure, we have to do this. But Christ is our only security. He came to overturn all that worldly misplaced thinking. And you might want to say to yourself, you might be arguing with, Pastor Frank right now. Well, Pastor Frank, there's this national security we're talking about. We're not necessarily talking about the religious system at this point. You cannot separate them. I've heard Christians say that stuff all week long. That worldly, just misplaced thinking regarding security. Your security is only in Christ. Nothing else. Not in our military, not in our government, not in your church leaders. This baby is God's signal to the powerful at every single level of society. And what Mary's saying here is the end of the power struggle is right here, right now. Think of those overpaid athletes, corporate executives, 
self-consumed celebrities. And how many powerful politicians in their oversized conceit and pride attempt to be God in their world. This verse should come to mind when you see those things, when you hear of those things, and when you behave that way. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud into the thoughts of their hearts. If you're all caught up in the world's values and it looks like your options are running out, things just aren't going your way, the world is just putting you down. It's always been that way for you. I want you to know Jesus came to rescue you from all that stuff. It's important that you bring your case to Him. Don't look at the magazines and read the news and wish you had that life. Don't despair over which party wins the most seats in Congress. Don't lose sleep over how unfair your boss treats you. And surely don't dwell on how wronged you have been in your life. Let this song speak to you. God's just letting the powerful strengthen their position and reveal their puny little influence in their puny little world just for a time now. But one day, one day God will say, as Amos did in Amos chapter 5, verse 24, but let justice roll down like waters, righteousness like an ever-flowing stream, and God's people will be blessed. Washing away the wrong, setting all things right. You bring your case to Him. He's the helper of the helpless. He'll also exalt the humble. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Toppled the mighty. Exalted the lowly. How many times have you seen the Herods and the the Hitlers and the Husseins and all the other H's of the world? He breaks their bows. Scripture promises us that he does and he will. He blows up their projects. He brings them low and the meek will inherit the earth. Mary's song means that we need to reverse our ambitions if we want to succeed in God's world. Don't buy the hype of all the of the world system dishes that stuff out every single day. If you're going to get anywhere in life, you've got to do this. If you're going to get anywhere in life, you've got to be assertive. You've got to stand up for your own rights. You've got to blow your own horn. You've got to pat yourself on the back. There's a higher law at work. Jesus gives us that in Luke chapter 14. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So seek humility, not glory. Labor for the Lord, not for yourself. Stop worrying about who gets the credit. 
give without expecting anything in return. Take the back seat. That is the only path to righteousness in God's kingdom. God says through Isaiah in Isaiah 66, This is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Then he says, He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich. He has sent away empty. God is looking for people who are hungry for him, but this relates to physical hunger as well. God passes right by the self-sufficient. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. They'll be filled. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. The church of Jesus Christ is for people who feel their own emptiness. The church of Jesus Christ is for people who feel their own nothingness. God loves those who are forgotten and passed over. God pledges himself to, 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 to remain with and strengthen those who are handicapped, the nobodies, the losers that we, the world, would call that. And he shows mercy to those who don't deserve it. Chooses the lowly over the proud. Finds the hungry and fills their stomachs. God is on the side of those who can't take care of themselves. She's talking about the greater world, but then she narrows it to her own Nation, at the end of this verse, he's helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, to his offspring forever. God did for Israel. She speaks of the entire world and what God's going to do. Bless those who are humble. And she narrows it down to the truth that in spite of Israel's destitute condition, the nation is still God's servant. He'd help the people fulfill His promises to them. God was on their side. He would remember His merciful promises to them ages past. And they would continue. And he would keep his promises. Were it not for Israel, Jesus Christ could have never been born in this world. Mary stayed with Elizabeth until John was born, then she was returned to Nazareth. 
That had been that might have been about three months. So she was showing by then, and you know she showed up in her hometown, and tongues began to wag. People were likely asking, "Oh, now we know why she left in such a hurry." And this song is why the theme of this third Sunday in Advent is proclamation. Mary sings and proclaims the one God who's being sent into the world. And he came shortly after she returned home. And he's coming again. This is a long quote, but worthy to share with you. Spurgeon said, My soul does magnify the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. Unbelief would have said, wait. Fear would have said, be silent. But faith could not wait and could not be silent. She must sing, and sing she did sweetly. I call your attention to this fact because when we ourselves have a song to sing unto the Lord, we may perhaps be tempted not to sing it till our hopes are accomplished and our faith has been exchanged for fact. Brothers and sisters, if this is your case, do not wait, for your song will be spoiled if you do. There's another song to be sung for the accomplished mercy. But there is a song to be sung now for the promised mercy. Therefore... Let not the present hour lose the song which is due to it. Praise God. We come to worship Him today. It's important we not just celebrate God sending His Son in December. We do it year-round. And I pray that you do see Him. That you see Him clearly. That you see who He is, and if you do not know Him as your Lord and Savior this day, that you might see Him exactly as Simeon did when he met Him face to face, that eight-day-old baby in the temple, when Simeon said, after eight days, His name was then called Jesus. The name given by the angel before He was conceived in the womb. And when the days for their purification were completed, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Christ. Simeon came in the Spirit to the temple. When Joseph and Mary brought the child Jesus, he took the boy in his arms and blessed God, saying, Now, Lord, let your servant depart in peace. For this day, this is what I want for you. For this day, my eyes have seen your salvation. A light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Emmanuel has come. He really has. He really has. He really has.